Street Podcast. <sighs> wow. <laughs> Way to get intro. It's so intense. It is very intense. In post, can you change that to like a black metal like... Uh, I think I can definitely do that. I think I'll, I'll pull it that way. I'll, uh, I'll take requests from you. <laughs> What's up, people? Welcome to Creative Theater Podcast, a show that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day-to-day is like, what their struggles are, their goals, thoughts about the art world, and a lot, a lot more. Uh, that voice you heard, th- this uh, man is a visual artist now living in Vancouver, BC, fan of darkness. According to his Instagram, he is a fan of lightning strikes and goats. And, Indeed, uh, I think that's great. <laughs> Teaching at Evan Carr University, illustrating department, repped by Russell Lee Gallery. Russo Lee, yeah. Russo Lee, mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, Amory Abbott, Hello. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank it's you. Nice to be here. I'm uh, glad you made it. Uh, it's raining outside, so that means we're not going to be sweating in here because in the summer it got pretty hot. Uh, we are uh, here live uh, from Save On Radio. So yeah, was that a pretty good uh, intro? Was it, did I, did yeah, I get it? yeah, I think you covered all the basics. Goats, lightning strikes, darkness. <laughs> I teach. I'm an artist. Yeah, yeah. Good, okay, good. Uh, oh, also, you're going to be one of the artists uh, on the list on Artbreakers, which is coming up I September am. 22, 23, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right around the corner. And I, I like that uh, for people are not familiar with your work uh it's just it's Am- at amory abbott a-b-b-o-t-t mm-hmm. if you want to look up his work uh i think the way you compliment the group <laughs> is i think it, it, it i guess the word is complimenting it because okay. uh, as an illustration market i think your 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 personal work rides a fine line between fine art and illustration yeah yeah, yeah i was a little i was a little worried like that my style of art was going to be a little like not illustration-y enough <laughs> like, uh, like I was going to be like the odd kid out but, but my, um, I, li- I prefer that you say it complimenting I think so and <laughs> it's uh, I think it's like going to a music show where hopefully there's a nice variety of music so you don't get bored because if the first sure. and the second and the third bands sound exactly the same you, by the end you just yeah. okay you, I'm going to count on that by the end you're getting too much cake right that's what <laughs> we were talking about before this that's right <laughs> uh, so I Lots to talk about because it would be great to get into your teaching and then personal work, then where you come from, and then sure. heartbreakers and go to metal. So, <laughs> lots to, but I, I was looking in your website and you know, you got heartbreakers coming up to, in September, you got uh, a one year exhibition in November this year, and then you got a solo coming up in February 2019. So, yeah, you just like to keep yourself busy, huh? Well, yeah, it's uh, fits and starts. And so how do you manage that? Or do, do you have a, a schedule, a process, what has been working for you to get um, to get these things in a row, line them up, and then get it done? I don't think I would have originally planned on having all these things sort of happen in such a short sequence, but um, I'll take what I can get. And <laughs> yeah. it's been a kind of like I, the last year moving up to Vancouver and transitioning to teaching full-time a up a has more. been... Yeah. Um, that's been an experience that's kind of required most of my energy and most of my, my attention. And um, I kind of purposely put off any kind of big efforts towards gallery shows or exhibitions mm-hmm. um, just so I can really kind of get here. Oh, well, so it's only been just over a year ago? You're yeah, saying? yeah. Oh, I wow. moved up here in July last year. Mm-hmm. And then. Because I was noticing a lot of your work or some of the shows you've had were in Portland. Is that where you were at before that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was in Portland for three years before that. 
I moved out there for grad school from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, you're traveling all across, huh? <laughs> and now you're, uh, how's, uh, how's Vancouver been for you so far? It's been really good. Yeah? It's been really good. I've never considered myself a city person, but moving up here and um, was a great learning experience. And I don't mind it so much now. What did you mind, though? It's just something about being in a big city. You know, I've been to bigger cities like Chicago, New York, San Francisco, and they're just so overwhelmingly large and overpopulated and um, hard to navigate. I think moving to Portland was a nice transition from the small town I grew up in mm-hmm. to to a city like Vancouver. Not that Vancouver's a giant city. Exactly, yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. It ju- I mean, similar to Portland, it's somewhere in between, right? It it's feels like a big city. Mm. It acts, it's like, acts like a big it's city. It's trying to pretend like it's one, but it's not. So you can still walk across the whole thing in like yeah. 45 minutes. How, uh, having traveled some, or lived in different places, how do you find the art scenes comparing to one another? I haven't experienced much of the art scene in Vancouver yet. I've just had my head <laughs> down so much in at Emily Carr. Um, but... There was a pretty thriving art scene in Indianapolis when I left, and um, maybe an adolescent art scene there, but moving to Portland was certainly this big exposure to much more current, up-to-date, contemporary art world, and the art scene in Portland is just exploding. Why do you think? I went there, a couple, I think, a couple of months ago, and it noticeably so. There are a lot of galleries, just a lot of art everywhere. They embrace it really well. Yeah, I mean, Portland's gone through this um, like massive gentrification over the last five years, and mm. that's... Is that what it and is? Then, that and art is the harbinger of that, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's plenty yeah. of like seasoned galleries there now that... And I don't know. I mean, Portland has always sort of been like the weird artsy kid of the Pacific Northwest family of ten- cities. Uh, th- that's what I hear. I, uh, a lot of these things are just like, uh, noticing or people say, and then, yeah, and like I said, being there and seeing their own mural fest uh, happening as mm-hmm. well, and so from street to the uh, galleries. Um, h- how did the relationship come with the Russo League Gallery? How did you establish that? Was it once you moved there, or before it? No, I moved there in 2014, and to go to grad school at Pacific Northwest College of Art. And during that program, I had the opportunity to meet a few different gallery directors and gallerists that were running different galleries around town and in smaller places like coffee shops. And so Mm -hmm. I wound up getting this show at um, Stumptown Coffee Roasters downtown, this little coffee shop in an old historic building. And... um, put up a series of drawings there and it was like the first time I'd shown any work in the Pacific Northwest outside of um, kind of uh, school critiques mm-hmm. and so I made a bunch of postcards and like hand wrote messages to every gallery director <laughs> I could find any recommendations from anybody I knew and mailed them all cards that's smart and uh, Martha Lee showed up saw the mm-hmm. show wow and, and that's a that's a really good idea. Yeah. And invited me to be in a group show, and then yeah, yeah, from yeah. the group show, it was really successful. And we talked for probably a year or so after that, and about a solo show there. And um, I kind of weighed some offers from for representation from a couple people, and Rousseau was obviously was the clear choice. Mm-hmm. So now you're there. When you say you uh, 
had some other offers for presentation. Are those uh, what do they look like? Are they contracts? Are they? Yeah, it's yeah? kind of a con yeah. I mean, it, there is a contract involved. Represent. Mm. I mean, are, being represented by a gallery is sort of like. It's a little more old school now, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are kind of doing their own thing. But I mean, it it's really similar to the record industry, like being represented by a gallery is like signing to a record label mm -hmm. and there's plenty of people out there doing a, having great success publishing their own music on mm -hmm. <laughs> SoundCloud and, yeah, you know, yeah. and like selling their own music um, and art plenty of artists out there who can just sell their own work off their websites prints originals do conventions and fairs and things like Artbreakers and make a living off that hopefully um, but I wanted something that was a little more I mean I wanted a white wall Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and do you have? Does it mean you have to be exclusive with them as far as showing work? Yeah, within a, within a certain geographical region. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. yeah, but they also have like a team of half a dozen people working there selling my work. So no, that's that's I that's what I was going to say. Work, and that's yeah, what, <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Worth the, well, that's and worth it's the creation. and especially when you find people who get your work, it seems mm -hmm. to be the the key is that, or if looking from the outside is that to make the relationship work, you have to be in with someone who gets it and yeah l l likes it like likes it enough to you know be really passionate about sure. like you're saying selling it for you yeah and oftentimes they can explain my work better than i can explain that's, it that's how you know you got the I right get people. so caught up in specific <laughs> details that like don't really matter to most people and then <laughs> i hear them talk about their work and it's like oh wow yeah yeah that's me yeah <laughs> you're like, that's exactly what i meant with that yeah, yeah 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 uh sweet and then uh, when you decided to go to portland for you said for postgrad uh -huh. uh, for graduate school. Oh, sorry, graduate school. Well, yeah, whatever they call it here. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, but <laughs> how did that choice uh, come to be? There was um, the program was an interdisciplinary program, or maybe a multidisciplinary group of students. So mm -hmm. all my classmates were. It wasn't an illustration program like the undergrad that I had. Mm -hmm. um, my c classmates were sculptors and photographers and video installation artists and performance artists and oil painters and mm -hmm. a few drawers as well. So really the, the vocabulary that comes to a critique from a group of people like that is really expansive and you learn a lot more than what small little corner of the art world you're working in. Mm -hmm. um, you learn to talk about your work in a lot of different ways and perceive the work in different ways that you may not have expected it when you were like when you were thinking about your own work and making your own work that somebody offers a a different interpretation of what you're making that can really change the, how you how you move forward with the work where you see it landing to like I I don't think I went into grad school expecting that I would become a gallery artist instead of like an illustrator mm -hmm. um, but it happened to change your mind yeah, yeah yeah really yeah you seem to, even before we spoke, you seem to put a lot of emphasis on this uh, idea of that feedback and the critique from various artists. Uh, it, it was it was that impactful, I guess. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, that's part of why I love being a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and at an art school is that, that it's hard, even within a small group of your peers who are maybe working in the same industry or working in the same style or um, with the same ideas in mind or same research, um, you end up recycling a lot of ideas and a lot of vocabulary and a lot of interpretation and um, getting into some bigger conversations with a bigger group of people always leads to a better understanding of your own work at least mm -hmm. and an understanding of the climate of the art world too. Is like you, 
if you keep doing the same thing on your own for 10 years and then you step back into the art scene or go to a gallery show you may not know what you're looking at <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you may not be up on like what what people are making work about and being up on that is part of being it's like i it's the responsibility of a of a practicing artist i think what a, so so it is a it's interesting just because i've spoken about this subject of like is it okay to get away for years or put oh, yourself sure. somewhere and then just keep oh, making sure. work sure um but you're saying it's it's not as uh, you don't benefit as much from being outside of this of the art world rather than being aware of what's happening and creating in the context of what's happening if you're interested in sharing your ideas with others and um furthering your ideas with others as like a art community in a certain sort of way i think it's important that people are involved with involved with the with what they're into um they're involved with the world around them um it's hard to create much um any it's hard to create many new ideas in a bubble yeah and what about uh, being affected too much by the visuals of other uh, by the visuals that the other artists are creating sure yeah. <laughs> what about that idea there's 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 always a balance between yeah. well at least for me it's like I, there's there's I like walking with one foot in the sort of contemporary <laughs> highbrow art world. Mm -hmm. um, but I always like to keep a foot in like outside of it yeah, where yeah. I can like, if I look at some work and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so ridiculous. Like I can s step away. And like, <laughs> I, I don't have to know what that's. I don't, I don't, I don't need to figure out what that's about. I don't need somebody to explain that to me, but yeah. yeah. Um, that's why it, it kind of caught me off guard when you said that, you know, you have to be there to understand what they're making. And to me, uh, sometimes one of the issues I have with like some piece of art is that when you have to read something to get it, and I'm like, well, what, did you do a good job? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, that's a personal judgment. I don't, I don't know if I'm right, right in that case because, you know, sure, a really well-written thesis on something uh, that uh, explains and talks about an idea that's very powerful is just coming uh, from a animation maybe not really illustration but you know animation background mm. the way to go is that if it needs explanation you failed and so right uh, well that's a kind of contrasting idea sense of like what il how illustration um shares space with conceptual art um where illustration oftentimes is so aimed at delivering an idea mm -hmm. or communicating something in a very clear way that doesn't need an explanation, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you look at the image and you see it and you get it. Um, it may take a moment or you may have to investigate it for a while, but like the idea is made clear. At least hopefully um, you get some of it. I mean, right. you get a start and then if you read it, it completes it maybe, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it, it can, it is supplemented to some degree by text or story or, um, advertising or whatever the outcome is. But, um, it, I think it's a lot. It, it's a lot to ask uh, most of the public to appreciate work that is intentionally confusing or intentionally um, secretive, or, mm -hmm. or or just plain hard to understand. You know, <laughs> whether they if you need a gallery, design, so. yeah, if you need the gallery director to come over and explain to you like what emotional turmoil the artist was going through when they um, when they created this, um, you know series of undergarments tied in knots on the floor or <laughs> i was waiting for example yeah. that's good that's good that's good <laughs> um you know it's 
a lot of people have a hard time taking that seriously. Um, and that's, uh, I don't like to shut out mm-hmm. work like that yeah, so yeah. easily. Um, mostly because of my education in graduate school. Um, and also understanding that like art isn't one thing. Art is not always easy to understand and that there's value in whatever kind of creative outlets people have, but like you're not going to reach as wide of an audience with work like that. And that's and, and okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and some somehow every once in a while it does it does reach an audience because of how uh, like uh, if not out of the box but how strange it is right sometimes uh, these things do become part of pop culture for how odd they are yeah they become the yeah there's a kind of like shock value or the the oddness there's like a there's the spectacle of certain Mm -hmm. kinds of work is the is like the payoff when you look at it um that seems a little (laughs) cheap yeah yeah in a way sometimes yeah. do work that's like really thought out or work that's really technically um technically mastered work um yeah i think it's uh, i like what you're saying because being especially an educator i think it's important to like you said not shout out any kinds of art because not only there's no one way to do it but hopefully you can understand and yeah uh, and, and contemporary art i think yeah. in a lot of ways contemporary is trying to trying to um find threads that that cross over that boundary Mm -hmm. um a lot of it can be alienating though i mean if you ever wandered uh, through vancouver art gallery it's uh, uh, and you can see people's reactions sometimes it's actually more fun to just stand and watch people interact with pieces (laughs) you know they'd walk in a room be like what am i supposed to do here right (laughs) and then but so once again uh, unless 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 that was the goal from uh, the artist is to just confuse confuse people completely right and i I know this is a you know another big long discussion and I don't have, I have an opinion. I don't know if it's a completely educated one. You know, I'm trying to read more about contemporary art specifically. And, you know, you look at history and how it developed. I think the way modern art developed kind of makes sense. But, I mean, when you look at a piece on its own, quite often it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you, uh, I guess there we just uh, dove off there. When you introduce yourself to people, do you say you're an illustrator or a painter? Or what do you say? Artist? Um it's kind of difficult because technically I'm a drawer. Drawer, okay. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Most of, most of, I mean, myself included, um, a lot of people when referring to my work say paintings um, because Even they look like paintings. And I just, sometimes it's easier to just call them paintings. Even but they're technically charcoal, charcoal right? drawings. Yeah. yeah, they are drawings on paper. Um, I use my hands. I use a towel. I use some gum erasers and kneaded erasers i don't use any brushes or binding okay. agents you don't soften with brush what do you nope. use no uh no i use a shop towel nice to soften things so it's, it is really a very much a traditional drawing practice um charcoal on paper if you if you want to see like powerful mood people should look at your paintings i think uh <laughs> so once again it's uh amory abbott.com so or mm-hmm. you know that uh, on instagram as well mm-hmm. uh, i was really impressed and actually i was even more impressed when I saw the scale of the work because you got this really nice pulls like where you you, you whatever the tools you use to erase and mm-hmm. then you pull these uh, they're they're, they're not ge- geometric shapes that are kind of mm-hmm. fading almost as if like charcoal is being pulled but mm-hmm. I was re- I was wondering what kind of tools you use because having worked with Conte I get you know you can use an easy eraser but when it's you know it's what are like six inches wide mm-hmm. of a pull 
Is that you were saying that's rags as well, or would you? No, no? well, I mean the the soft the soft washes down yeah, yeah. of of the like gray gradients are done with a towel, mm -hmm. um, but all the like the white geometric areas are carved out really just with like a gum a gum eraser, like one of those. Oh yeah, like, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. Tan colored gum erasers, and I just like I use a I use a blade to to like square off the ends, nice and sharp, and mm -hmm. just like it's like a like carving it out yeah you picked a quite a messy medium how did you how did oh, you yeah, arrive at so charcoal <laughs> i fought with charcoal I've, I've been fighting with charcoal since my undergrad um and i keep going back to it and i, I, I think <laughs> one actually one of the yeah i i just started doing these like render drawings that were sort of um maybe whimsical sort of dark i mean charcoal it's, it's easy to make dark drawings with yeah. charcoal um i liked drawing with graphite but graphite mm -hmm. felt like it was too shiny. It wasn't. You didn't, couldn't get it dark enough. You can't like get the deep. You can't get really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. dark, even yeah. with like an e ebony pencil. So the next, I mean, it was just suggested to me, like, why don't you try it in charcoal pencil? Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, well, this gets darker. Um, and then you get that you push that contrast range quite a bit, actually, mm -hmm. switching to charcoal. And I just like kept working with it, and then I just kept facing this issue of like nobody takes drawings seriously as a f like final finalized mm -hmm. art form like yeah. drawing it oftentimes has this stigma of being like the medium you use on your way to me creating a yeah, painting like a step rather yeah than it's, a a, it's yeah. the sketch phase right yeah. um and so i would try watercolor for a while <laughs> go, go back to charcoal i try working in oil paint or acrylic yeah. like even monochromatically like i can do these paintings in mm -hmm. black and they'll look the same but it still didn't, I mean, but it wasn't looking how I wanted it, it to look. Yeah. And so I keep going back. And then, I, and then I started researching artists who, like, actually work in charcoal. Mm -hmm. So take, like, uh, Sean Tan, book illustrator, mm -hmm. does tons of work in charcoal, beautiful work. Um, his book, The Arrival, is, like, all charcoal. Um, one of my graduate mentors and a really prolific artist now in Portland is Samantha Wall. Um, she does these large large charcoal drawings now switched to ink some too um but then like looking back at contemporary artists um robert longo does these massive massive charcoal paintings like the size of a wall wow. of waves or sharks or like i mean pretty highly rendered images of forests and things like that and it's like well okay you know people do take this <laughs> seriously yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like and and if i want to work in that like why not yeah how long did it take for you to realize that kind of step out of that place where kind of caring about what people thought what the finished thing should be and mm -hmm. then being like oh no I, it's actually possible a lot of that change happened in grad school yeah. honestly yeah i mean the two big realizations i had in grad or maybe th maybe there's like three big realizations i i got in my in my graduate experience um the first was that like i don't have to draw people or figures or living mm -hmm. things <laughs> like i can just draw mountains you feel like and you trees. have to um I felt like it did. Mm -hmm. I felt like it did. I felt like it was like a like a cop out if I wasn't <laughs> addressing the figure in my work. Um, but landscapes really mattered to me. Um, the other thing I kind of came to terms with was had to come to terms with was that like drawing is a legitimate professional medium, mm -hmm. and I can like really push that. I can like really dig into what it means to draw and my and my process of drawing and like really turn that into something spectacular um and then the last thing that i really had to come to terms with it like i kind of make work that's inspired by fantasy mm -hmm. and 
it's moody and dark and it's kind of like the themes are kind of adolescent in mm-hmm. a, to a certain degree um, like the idea of making professional work that is like fantasy is um, was really intimidating like people aren't going to take this seriously they're going to yeah, look yeah. at this like it's a like they're going to think I'm trying to sneak a comic book into like a book convention yeah, right yeah. or like and like my first show at Russo Lee most of the drawings like at least two thirds of the drawings were from a series I did of landscapes that were based on locations in Middle Earth J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth and so like I felt like I was (laughs) like like I felt like I was tricking them. You're, you're <laughs> putting bre- this work on the wall. Like, you don't know, but this is all fantasy work. You're breaking the fine art world. <laughs> I am. Right? I felt like I was, like, pulling one over on them. <laughs> Good. Uh, you, you have to. It felt, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. The more the better. But It was fun. It's interesting that you describe it so when I, uh, on your website, I think uh, you wrote something. Um, let me see if I got it. Um, let's see. Because you talked about wh- what you're inspired by. Yeah, it's gothic romanticism, black metal, and dark ecology and fantasy, I think, is mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what you talked about, poetry and music. But when I look at your pieces, they look like they fit in in a gallery because mm-hmm. the fantasy element, it's got a maybe a mature take on it. It's, it's a not understated, a, yeah. Because it's the, implied yeah. and yeah. not obvious. Exactly. Yeah. And even if it, it is obvious, it's... I think there's a there's a serious way to do fantasy where you can consider it to be like, it's so close that it could be real or it's it's uh, it's got so much emotion that it feels like it's real you you forget the fact that it could be fantasy you know what I mean like I think so I feel like that's what you're doing it doesn't feel like obviously you know it doesn't feel like Lord of the Rings where you can't take it seriously it feels like right you can. it's not yeah it's like you believe it to an extent like you the the way it's depicted you believe it to an extent where you're like there could be. Mm-hmm. Um, an ogre behind that tree <laughs> but I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. drawing an ogre behind yeah. a tree right it's like there aren't dragons flying through the air in my paintings but there yeah. are like implied dragons right yeah yeah I like I like that you said that you're fighting charcoal all the time because that my yeah. my relationship with it felt like it feels like a fight oh it's so messy and They're it's so hands-on yeah. 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 yeah the question I get probably the most about my work is like how do you keep the white spaces yeah, yeah, yeah. so white and it's like well I'm really really careful <laughs> you have to be that uh, one of the paintings that you sent I'll make sure to post it uh, on Instagram with a tree mm-hmm. in the center mm-hmm. yeah like the clean whites and a transition into grays that, that that's really impressive how um, I'll make sure to post it but how large is that one do you remember most of the tree pieces the caldera series um, are all like right around around maybe two feet by three feet 22 yeah. by 30 i just use a nice. standard like half size sheet of paper and then uh, actually we'll, we'll i want to get into size well when you mentioned to me that you work that's kind of your general standard size in the studio and then for gallery work you go larger mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. is there a reason why it's for the, i mean it it's i would say the gallery the work that i've shown and shows at at my gallery and um, that I'd like to keep showing are these sort of vast landscapes. Like uh, the tree pieces I tend to consign to the gallery and they get sold, but they don't mm-hmm. go up in shows or anything like that. Okay. Um, the, those are kind of like kind of my main production work, I suppose. Like if, it, if I had a bre- bread and butter mm-hmm. work that I sold, it would be the drawings like the trees that are a little more close up. But mm-hmm. um, when I'm working with like these bigger landscapes, um, the vast landscapes with the mountain peaks and the big waterfalls and big, these big open white watery areas um those i like to work really big because there is a spectacle to the size there is um a sort of immersion that oh people yeah. experience when you're standing in front of a piece that's like four feet by eight feet 
Um, scale makes a huge difference, oh, especially yeah. for something like because you're yeah. tackling an epic scene. Yeah, yeah, and oftentimes like I worked at a like very zoomed out perspective, like mm-hmm. high in the air. So all the little like ridges and mountains and um, and peaks and valleys and uh, the rivers that run through them, like there's a lot of tiny little trees and details and stuff in there. And that like if I go really really big, I can put more of that in there mm-hmm. um, and s- kind of hide it in there. Um, with the smaller work, I've, a lot of my studio work is working at this sort of awkward size where it's like <laughs> too big to be this sort of small um, moment in a larger landscape, like mm-hmm. a small area, but it's not big enough to like really encompass the feeling of mm-hmm. a huge place. So um, that's something I'm working on. So I mean, most of the work that I do in my studio is sort of exploratory mm-hmm. as opposed to like, this is going to go on a gallery wall. Um, I say the big stuff for that. Do you tackle the pieces with with keeping that in mind that this is going to go to a show and this is not? For the most part, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, unless like right now, I'm in production mode for shows, so I'm working on sketches for my show in February for my solo show, and then I've got this exhibition in uh, November at the Portland Airport in the international concourse of like a series of drawings I did or a series of drawings of from photographs I took. Um, on an art residency I did in May in mm-hmm. Ireland. So oh, wow. I'm like, so now I'm like working on the finished pieces for the Ireland show. Um, and those are all just like working from photographs. So I know like I am making the finished work for that. I don't need to do sketches ahead of time and just like working from my reference photos. Mm. Um, for the big stuff in my other like solo show, that's all a little more like those I'll be doing a lot of sketches for. And, um, and a lot of the work I'm doing now is just like th- the stuff that's not for the shows is just to keep me in practice. Practice? Yeah. That's so valuable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I Scrolling through your Instagram, I like the fact you're seeing your Instagram account, I found very useful because you seem to write about the process and what you do. And I really appreciate mm. it. And I, I think it makes, you, makes me realize about as I'm, yeah, as I'm consuming sure information or something, you know, or you, as your Instagram, there's... There's a couple artists I follow where you can, you know, don't just look at the artwork, but you can artwork, but you can actually get something out of it because of like what's written. I really mm. appreciate the fact that you oh, wrote nice. it. Uh, it's really cool. But I, I think I think uh, I had a little like a manifesto about. <laughs> I guess, but even about your about materials, process, about yeah, sketching, and exactly. Yeah, there was. Um, let me see. I, I copied one of the uh, quotes from. I'm trying to remember what the image was, but oh yeah. You, so you talked about the process of being, you know, blue line drawing a sketchbook, then scanned. Mm-hmm resized converted to grayscale photoshop then projected on a final paper substrate then traced lightly with graphite and then you mm-hmm. do that i i love reading that because it's it sounded like you, you're someone who not only appreciates the process but you at this point it seems like you have it nailed down for what you need to get done is that is that true yeah i mean the the <laughs> this is another process well maybe this is another thing i learned in grad school mm-hmm. i note to listeners like you, you go to grad school it sounds like it was very really useful. To, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm me. learning from you from your grad school. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was this process. You know, I, when I was when I was younger, before grad school, I you know I I used to really believe in the like art gods in a way. Like it was just like, <laughs> okay, the mystery. I'm gonna burn some incense and I'm gonna stand in my studio, and uh, I'm gonna stare at this blank piece of paper, <laughs> and then the spirit is going to come to me and I'm going to draw the best thing I've ever drawn and I'm going to trust that that like the inspiration in the moment is going to lead to like my best work you know like I think we all want to believe that as artists that we have this like (laughs) this like daemon right or this like genius that that like 
strikes us. Um, <laughs> and then we become these like superhuman um, artists. Um, but really, it's like I kind of half-ass things when I'm not prepared. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so one big change in my process was going from these sort of like quick thumbnail sketches then that I would then suddenly move to like a five foot by seven foot piece of paper and do these mm-hmm. massive landscapes on they were like pretty nice but not great they were you know they were good but yeah. but they weren't like they didn't satisfy everything um and so I changed my process um one of my graduate mentors Daniela Molnar was like why aren't you sketching more um I was like, well, because sketching's boring, right? It's like, <laughs> I want to just get to the big drawings. and um, But I really took that to heart, and I started doing these, like, super detailed drawings. And what I found out is that, like, when I would do these highly detailed drawings with a blue pencil, which are, you know, only maybe four by six inches big. I don't work in a big sketchbook. But highly detailed. That I would spend a couple hours almost as long as it's I spend on the final drawings, mm-hmm. getting these really detailed little sketches down and getting the composition exactly how I want it, getting all the uh, tones, highlights, all this stuff exactly how I want to see it. And so that way, when I go through the process of like what some artists might consider cheating of like scanning in my sketch, doctoring it up a little in Photoshop, mm-hmm. projecting it using like a digital projector on the wall, onto the paper, and then tracing the whole thing before I start the finished drawing like when I get to the final drawing now that's traced from this like uh, from a sketch that I'm 100% satisfied with Mm -hmm. I know that if I don't do anything different than what I did in the sketch it's going to be a great it's going to work yeah but then so what that does is like relieves the pressure off me to like always be thinking about is this is the composition right yet Um, Mm, is my lighting right yet Um, I know it's going to be right so then the only thing I have to concern myself with is like having fun while I'm drawing (laughs) it and leaving, you know, and leaving myself open to the possibility of play and making little changes as I go. If they, if, if, if the art gods suddenly strike me with an inspiring thought to change something, (laughs) I can do it if I want. Um, but I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Plus it's like, it takes a long time to build the panels and, and stretchers that I mount my paper to. And so like you you stretch your own, paper no but well yeah the, the my substrate process is um i build a wooden frame mm-hmm. that has a cleat on the back so it can hang on a wall and then that wooden frame has um um a panel of gator board okay. mounted to the front which is like it's basically like foam core but has um fiberglass on the front and back instead mm. of paper so it's like yeah. super duper rigid but it's really lightweight so even my giant drawings only weigh like 30 or 40 pounds um mm. That gets mounted to the wooden frame, and then over that, I paste, I use an acid-free paste to paste the paper to, and then I trim the paper down. And that's before you start drawing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, I'm sure it would be pretty difficult. I love that, and when you talk about the process, is that I imagine, or I found, for example, in oils as well, if you don't plan it out well, once mistakes or things you don't want start happening in the process because you didn't plan for it, it's so hard to... Uh, it must be difficult mm-hmm. in, in charcoal too to try to m- adjust on the fly, especially when working so large, right? Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. the value of process, yeah. And especially I, and if some somewhere that I've marked at all, I wish that I'd kept 
completely white pure paper, whites, I yeah, can't go. Yeah. Can't, it's hard to get it, it to that perfect, uh, yeah. the perfect whites. Do, yeah. you, do you use a lot of masking or no? Nope, nothing. Yeah, I just uh, I work vertically, so I like I keep my paper completely vertical on the wall. So when when I rub in these really dark areas, the charcoal just kind of Flies. falls to the floor instead of and sliding down the paper itself. And you want to, when you work very large. Do you just get larger charcoal sticks, or is there? I use the same size for the most part. I have a bottle of like uh, charcoal powder. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, you use that. Yeah, I like have a combination of that like that. The stuff the Generals makes doesn't get dark enough for me, and so I'll, I'll use some of that, like a pile of that powder, but then also crush up my black, my really dark compressed charcoal yeah, yeah. blocks into um, into that mixture, and then it gets really dark. That's very interesting. And how do you apply it? How do you apply the powder? With a towel. Towel? Yeah, just yeah. like a shop rag from Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Man, uh, learning about process, yeah. And then uh, you're mentioning that sometimes when you didn't work from photo reference, how do you uh, organize those designs or those images? Um, I still do the, I mean, I spend more time on a sketch with those. I'll go through, I mean, I maybe, I maybe do four or five sketches in my sketchbook before I get to one that's like, okay, this is good enough um, compositionally to, to go on to like a finished panel. Um, I use a lot of photo references of different regions, like for a couple series, for one series in particular, I was only using photo references from Iceland, um, another series um, called Bloodlands. It was about like my Scandinavian heritage. I only used photo references of like fjords from Norway um, and mountain ranges from there, um, from Norway and, and um, Sweden. And um, I was going to say, this is, this is why you're into metal. Yeah, it's in my blood. <laughs> there you go. It all makes sense, yeah. <laughs> I was so happy when I found out I was getting it. I did the, like, oh, the Ancestry.com. Nice. Yeah. Like, they send you the tube, and you spit in it, yeah. and then you mail it back, and then mm -hmm. they in, like, five weeks, they tell you where all your family came from. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was like, I'm 50% Scandinavian. Damn, I was go. like, I've always wished I was viking part viking <laughs> and it's a dream come true <laughs> yeah i always wished i was more than just like a fan of metal music but so and like now i now i get to say like oh no it's it yeah it's in my heritage <laughs> there's there's a reason i like this kind of stuff no it's even though it kind of started after i was born but whatever <laughs> whatever no no it just it just took you a while to find your roots you yeah, know, that, yeah. That, that, that's all it was yeah uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay let's see uh, how come i know because you actually you've used some color pastels i think in some of your pieces mm -hmm. but uh, it sounded like you're saying you were drawn to black and white grayscale uh, always it seems like you're saying you did uh, some studies in acrylic almost always yeah yeah i i i did do a series recently that i was also using red <laughs> yeah the red and black great <laughs> yeah yeah Good white combo. red and black no the alchemical colors they're uh they're like the primal colors right uh of transformation but uh the yeah I, I, I got asked a lot why don't you use color um, and most of the time it was in defense of black and white like there's subtleties and tones and and textures in black and white that you can't get the same um, visual experience from color work um, and like I wanted my works to kind of reference old photographs mm -hmm. or to like have that sort of like there's this nostalgia to black and white work I think that is part of the like conceptual approach to my to my process so um, black and white feels right mm -hmm. and it's fun I mean it's really fun to to kind of create limitations for myself like oh, for sure like yeah. and then have to like really expand inside that 
inside those limitations. I think the question you mentioned, why don't you use color? I think that's the wrong qu question. I, I think that's why it's better to be like, why use why black, black and white, and white. rather yeah. than because that's that's implying that you should, but you don't have to do anything. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, the question started uh, wrong. I think it's the same reason. It's interesting to see photographers use black and white. It really does capture. Uh, it helps with a uh, capturing a certain emotion. And as far as like talking about constraints, I think it's a interesting way to help yourself produce something more interesting when you have less tools right yeah and really i think like for me black and white i mean the biggest the biggest reason for black and white for me is it's just that it matches all of the other sort of conceptual connections i make in my work mm -hmm. so it like i want it dark i want it visceral i want it metal i want it fantasy you know i want it like it, black and white just makes sense like mm -hmm. yeah it uh, looks great. It's working. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Lots of good choices there. You, <laughs> right now, you just. I wonder, like though, like that every once in a while, I'm like, I wonder if I tried to do like a really bright color watercolor painting or something right now. People like, are not going to accept you. Well, it's too late. I, I don't I'm joking. Know if I can <laughs> even do it anymore. <laughs> like, you just see the world in black and white. You don't even realize it. <laughs> I just start making monochromatic paintings in different colors. Oh yeah, yeah. That could, uh, that could also be fun. You could, uh, yeah, if you only use like a color Conte or something, uh, or just one type of, uh, like yeah, pick a pastel color and just go with it. Yeah, I know. I'd end up like Zaria Foreman or something like that, just doing these massive Zaria icebergs. In, oh in yeah. What does she use for her paintings? Soft pastel. Pastel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta look her up. You're, you're mentioning a lot of, you're dropping a lot of artist names. I'm gonna have to <laughs> listen to this and look them up. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not dropping like concept art no we d I, 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 I like them all no <laughs> I don't I, know that many of them I don't need more concept <laughs> art artists I'll uh, I'll find them there's okay. there's, there's, <laughs> there's ways you just uh, mentioned so this idea you talked about about not waiting for the art gods to appear but mm -hmm. just you know you, you get in there you find a way to uh, find a way that works for you but you, I, especially when it comes to an art practice when you have to produce whether there's deadlines or art shows or if it's for a job you can't just expect to sit around and hopefully hope yeah. that something happens or not. But so what I want to ask you is that being a teacher, uh, how do you, how do you ingrain that or do you, have you found a good way to ingrain that in students? That yeah. And I, and I don't think my students particularly appreciate it, but I just make them work <laughs> all the time. I mean, yeah. it's just like the, the, really the things that you can, the most, Im maybe the most important thing you can learn as an artist in undergraduate art school is that like you got to work your ass off mm -hmm. if you're going to keep a practice and get good enough to be professional i mean yeah that with that rigor so and with that you know, like consistent practice comes a discipline it comes a, a familiarity with it it's like um you train yourself right it's like training yourself to like be used to doing that all the time and that's what it takes yeah I think there is and there always will be a misconception that art is supposed to be easier. You just sit around and wait for something yeah, to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean I've heard over through my 20s and 30s that like people are like, "Wow, you're, you know, that you're just so gifted." You're so talented. At, yeah. yeah, and it's like, well, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> I I've been practicing for 20 years and also I'm like almost $100,000 in debt going to art schools. Thanks school. So I can do this. <laughs> and and they're like, "But, you know, but you have such a gift." And it's like, "No, I practice." Like mm -hmm. It takes time it and effort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I put energy into this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't just wake up. And and I think even for students or for people who are artists, I, I think that's where you have to. You really have to kick that. Uh, you have to t take that out of their thought. 
well oftentimes yeah, yeah especially in school like oftentimes like i get a lot of students who are or one of one of two kinds of students you have one student that's like not very technically skilled um and has a hard time with compositions and and materials like the, the whole technical foundation is like young and mm-hmm. and they're young so that's fine um but they have really big ideas and they have like a lot of energy to put towards learning how to do these things and then you have the other kind of student which is like somehow already really good technically at a lot of things but mm-hmm. they don't spend but they've like coasted through on that technical skill mm-hmm. and they don't have this foundation of like inquiry of like wanting to know like or wanting to know how to portray something better or how to think about something better and mm-hmm. they d- and they're kind of lazy too <laughs> because they got it for free almost or kind of yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, and so it's like you identify these students as like, okay, well, you need more work on technical skill, but you, but you've got like a lot of heart, kid, right? Or <laughs> you've got the other student that's like f- totally full of themselves, but like has stupid ideas. And then you've got to sort of be like, hey, you know, like go research. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you who can paint really well, go research. You who can think really well, like keep practicing. And then you got to just kind of push them in their own little directions. Yeah. And hopefully at some point they like, walk out the door with their diploma with some sort of sense of like maybe i can make maybe i can do this naturally so they're everyone's kind of got their blind side right is your how much yeah. of your job is finding their weaknesses or like pointing out to these other areas that are lacking in is that a, something that i mean it's all preparation like yeah. the only like like i don't feel like i'm gonna get a student that through my um through my tutelage is going to walk out of their undergraduate degree at 21 years old with like <laughs> all the all the skills technical skills and that they're like you know some like art master um it's hard to even teach someone if, like like to actually sit down with them with the with like a watercolor palette and be like okay now mix the red with the green mm-hmm. right like yeah, they yeah. took foundation classes that do that but yeah. after that there's kind of like it's kind of up to them to learn the the medium that they want to use um really it's more about it's just for me the main focus is like getting them to think about things in a more advanced way or like at least set them up with a means to keep going mm-hmm. like that like you you get them thinking about their art practice in a certain way that when they don't have people telling them what to do anymore they still want to keep figuring things out and learning more um I'm teaching them how to teach themselves. <laughs> it's well, you, you're trying to make it a joke, but I think that's so true. Yeah, that's to I mean, me. It, it seems like true. Yeah, yeah, the biggest value that you can get out of school is how to continue gaining knowledge, right? right how to, right. Con- <laughs> but it, it, it sounds stupid, though. I guess we'll have to find a we'll have to find a quote you know, to make it sound <laughs> smart. But it's so true because yeah, how much are you going to learn in two, four years? Hopefully, as much as you want to, right? I guess, and hopefully, you learn how to how to learn or how to teach yourself because that, that that's going to be your life probably unless you keep taking courses which you know it's hard to when you have to work and make money you know yeah that. well yeah, i yeah. think that's why so many art graduates stall out so quickly i mean there's this like staggering statistic that maybe five percent of all art school graduates end up with a job in art after wow. five or ten years like <laughs> it's like wow minimal yeah, i yeah. mean the fact that i mean and, and i don't think that's because there's not a market for it or there's there's not like a want from the public to see art places um 
And it's not that there aren't jobs out there for people or galleries to show their work. Um, I mean, the more people, the more work there is to show, the more galleries that will will arrive. Um, but it's really just about pushing yourself to keep working on things. And you're saying, so what happens if people get defeated? You think, is that why? There, yeah, maybe some people get defeated or maybe it's just like they didn't, they didn't learn the, the tools of practice when they were in school. Um, they may have satisfied the criteria to get a passing grade, um, but if they don't develop some sort of like sense of how they work and how to work on their own, then they won't. I, I, I mean, that's what yeah, happened yeah. to me. <laughs> I got out of undergrad feeling like I could be a good artist, um, but I didn't know where to, what to do next. I didn't mm -hmm. know, like, I wasn't interested in reading things. I wasn't interested in researching things. Um, I wanted to just sort of, like, get by on what I was good at already, and I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> so it was like... Is it because of how I it was taught, or you, you just... I think it part of it, I mean, part of that falls on the university, mm -hmm. um, but also it... Um, Maybe part of that falls on my upbringing. I don't know, but I, I mean, I just, uh, for some reason, it was really hard for me to, like, really push myself um, through undergrad. And so it maybe took eight or nine years after undergrad to really get back to like, figuring something out for myself, getting a show, yeah, or yeah. picking up charcoals again. or. It's. I feel like I can relate to you saying this because, personally, for me, it took a while to want to to want to seek knowledge and i uh, uh, sometimes i feel like maybe that's just maturity you know i, I just i just wasn't s smart enough or like really aware enough that i should actually seek out knowledge it felt like a lot of work where i think it's getting to a point where i kind of need it and i enjoy it and it, not just in art but in general yeah so like, i don't know like i don't know about you but for me it was just just wasn't there yet and i don't know why yeah. <laughs> well i mean art is hard yeah you yeah. know there's not like you can't you can go into like <laughs> science or you can go into mathematics or something and there's like a formula or even like uh, you could be a surgeon or a lawyer and there's like you know when you're in the operating room and you have to remove somebody's spleen <laughs> there's there's a textbook that told that taught you how to do it mm -hmm. um there's a method you learned how to do and you do that method and you would you achieve success and that is the formula right like two plus two is four and that's all you need to know mm -hmm. um with art there's like there's no answer yeah. like whatever you want to do is is up to you and there's like there is no right or wrong there is no formula for success with being an, a practicing artist being a professional artist so um it's hard to think about that yeah. it's hard to, mo to motivate yourself and i think too like artists oftentimes have this sort of crippling insecurity yeah. about how <laughs> good they us. are about um how pe what people think about them because our our self-worth is so tied up into something that's really deeply ingrained in our in our emotional state right like we at least i can say that for myself mm -hmm. um and so it's hard to think about being new at something again or like and in a way it's like any kind of research that pushes you towards learning something new is like you have to be bad at it again right you have yeah. to be bad at art again and it's like if art is the only thing that you're Clean. grasping yeah. onto for dear life in this insane world then it's like i don't want to i don't want to be stupid again right <laughs> like i don't want to i don't want to show this this crappy work to people that's so true um when i could just go back to doing what i was good at before yeah. right um 
And so I think it's really hard for artists to progress um, confidently. Yeah. And what makes it even more difficult is when you tie in money into it, which oh, you yeah. kind of have to, or just a, because that also kind of a sign of acceptance or sign of people giving value to it. And once you add that on top of this already like explosive combination, then, or I guess okay, maybe that's not the right word, but it's like this volatile concept of being an artist and you add that to it just right uh, it makes it difficult right yeah <laughs> i mean it, it's like it <laughs> it's like fitting in it, like being a practicing artist is inseparable from this like just constant <laughs> seething just relentless feeling of insecurity but at the same time like nobody asked you to do this shit yeah, right it's, <laughs> it's your own fault yeah <laughs> like, can't complain Try right <laughs> right yeah, that's us who pick pick this thing, pick this thing to do. How was uh, how was studying in the United States for your you said undergrad? How was that? It, I mean, I'm from the United States, so it was just. But now you're here. Now you're teaching in a Canadian school. States. Yeah, Canadian school. So much fun teaching yeah? in a Canadian school. Yeah. Well, wh- so that's why I'm asking. Was there? I mean, looking back on it, uh, was it different? Was it cheaper? More expensive? And um, I mean, I went to a private art college for graduate mm. school, so my tuition was really high. Um, mm-hmm. But I got an amazing, sounds like it was worth an it, amazing yeah. experience. So it was worth it. I mean, it was worth it. It was worth every monthly payment I send back to my student loan company <laughs> um, that I'll be doing for the rest of my life. You think so? Well, unless yeah. I become world famous artist and start selling a lot of work. I'm waiting for you to become world famous. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, me too. Um, it's coming around around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? We're um, talking about schools. Yeah, yeah. yeah teaching. Um, teaching's great. I don't know. There's a. Uh, <laughs> we talked about this before. Yeah. But like, the, I love teaching, and it's it's so rewarding. I feel. I mean, I love helping young people realize their true potential. Um, I, and honestly, and um, and I have such a good time, and I get so much of my own creative energy from the energy of my students, mm-hmm. and they they inspire me probably a hell of a lot more than I inspire them. Um, and I like giving back the kind of education that I got from my illustration professor and my undergraduate. Uh, shout out to Kathy O'Connell, at Heron mm-hmm. School of Art and Design. Um, that kind of spirit in the classroom and energy and. Um, camaraderie I think that I find with illustration students specifically is like so inspiring to me mm-hmm. um, and so I need that in a certain way for my own life mm-hmm. um, I, or I, I, I may not need it but I cherish it um, it really like makes me feel so good <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's a little distracting I think so we're sitting on I'm no. sorry to cut into the story, right. but we're on like Hastings a, Street. Did we just witness a... Someone robbed someone right robbery. in front of us here, yeah. and then the guy ran away. I think he took it. Wow. It was a kind of a slow run, too, and there was, a, like, literally a police car with its lights on. Yeah, I think the person who stole something already gave up. And <laughs> <laughs> they kind of like, oh, I guess I'm going to jog. It's <laughs> <laughs> At least they'll get some exercise. Ah, this is uh, what it's like on Hastings Street. Yeah. Come down, Vancouver. You're going you're gonna to love it. <laughs> Back to teaching story. All this stuff about what I love being in... Vancouver. Yeah, so, um, so sorry about that, but I. No, that's okay. I, it was I, perfect timing. I was gonna honestly. say I couldn't be. Uh, this is definitely. I feel bad for that person. Yeah, sorry. You're talking about uh, needing the needing that yeah. inspiration. Yeah. So, um, but the drawback is that working full time, teaching full time, takes 
full time yeah. energy. And um, and coming from the states when I was teaching part time, mm-hmm. one class a semester, and then spending most of my time in my studio, and I worked a little retail on the side as well, mm-hmm. um, just to attempt to pay the bills. Um, I had this nice balance, like a, a weekly, sometimes daily balance of like teaching and working in my studio. So I was always like helping others with their work and then going back and working on my work. And it kept this like nice rhythm and it kept me up to date on what I was thinking about too. Um, teaching full time now, I realized that a lot more of my art practice for myself is happening over the winter break and over mm-hmm. the summer break and like not much at all during the semester because I'm just so wrapped up in the energy for all of that other stuff um and so it's kind of like it's kind of sad i'm i like kind of miss working consistently in my studio i could probably be further along with my own practice and better at what i do if i did have that more of that time but like we were talking about it's like do you want cake or do you want ice cream like yeah. it's it's two sweet things like well that, that's so a really challenging part to yeah. focus on one a little heavier than the other at times well, because because personally, you get a, a similar satisfaction from it, I guess, right? The teaching, it's not it's not like you're doing it because y- it's not just a job. It's something that you also enjoy. It's not just a job to support your painting. It's it's a thing you enjoy, right, right. and it helps support your painting. Yeah, it's not like I mean, get home at drawing. the end of the day and I'm like, ooh, well, yeah. at least I'm got the lights on, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like I get home and I'm fulfilled in the same way that I am fulfilled when I get home from my studio. Like yeah. there's something really in an ideal in an ideal world, would you teach less, draw more? Um, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is a what is a dream lifestyle? I think if um, I don't. Emily Carr is in a full fledged research university, mm-hmm. so there isn't a, a strong emphasis on faculty research, um, in the way that some other research one universities are, where they actually like give certain amounts of time to faculty members to do their own research alongside teaching. And so I think if that was a, if that was a situation that may change sometime in the future at Emily Carr mm-hmm. um, or wherever I may end up someday, that if I could teach maybe two classes instead of three and then have more time in my studio. Although, honestly, I feel like a lot of the onus of scheduling and time management is all on me. Like, I could spend way more time in my studio if I really wanted to mm-hmm. but I like sitting on my couch and I like reading books in the morning with my coffee and That's also you know nice. and I like taking walks and <laughs> riding my <laughs> bike life. yeah I mean yeah, I like doing nice. other things too <laughs> um, I, I've got friends and people to see and um, so it's uh, I don't know it's, uh, well there's a trade off there yeah. Right? yeah yeah I think it probably like every time I think of like, oh, I don't like my situation with my job because I want to <laughs> make more art. And then I think like, well, okay, that's not me. That's not true you speaking, you mean? Is it? No, I mean, it's, it's on, like. It's on you? It's my, I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I could spend more time in my studio. If, if, if you I, really if wanted I, to. Yeah, if I really wanted to. <laughs> and I really need to right now for yeah. this exhibition yeah. in November. So it's like, so I am spending a yeah. lot of time in my studio. When you teach, do you? Do you still manage how like let's say when when you do when the classes are happening how often do you end up being in your studio? Um, it just depends on my schedule. Like this semester, I've got two days off. Like I I have a couple double stack classes on on a di- on one day, so mm-hmm. I end up having like Wednesdays and Fridays off. Okay. Um, 
and I'll have to go in and work in my office some and, and there are meetings and little other little things to attend to that go along with teaching um, but for the most part I mean I should be able to get a, a solid chunk of time on both of those days in my studio mm -hmm. and then a weekend day probably too maybe both weekend days if I'm busy but see this is the this subject of yeah just balancing life and art is probably I mean the never ending the always so confusing and difficult one for everyone to realize especially especially when you're not a working artist or yeah and it and it is a little like there is a convenience to a deadline for me oh yeah at yeah, least yeah. i Same. mean like I, i i had all summer to work on these drawings for this <laughs> for this show and i just like i tried here and there to work on it and it like wasn't coming out and i just there's just some part of me that knows like you've just got to wait was it too comfortable like, the 11th hour right yeah. like you, <laughs> you you just have to wait until there can be no more waiting Yeah. And then you'll make all the best work. This but. is why I think I always, when I'm in the midst of it and I have, you know, full-time work and a couple of like commissions or something to finish, that's when I'm like, oh, you idiot. But, <laughs> but then, but then otherwise when I got nothing to really work on, it can be difficult. Like you're saying without that little, uh, little deadline somewhere waiting for you is definitely harder to get somewhere. I'm trying to cor I'm trying to correct that in myself because I know it's my like broken mindset probably the way I, I'm sure I can trick myself and I've been finding ways to trick myself into producing work without <laughs> right. deadlines because I realized I think I need that I I work well with goals set goals just just making art just practicing doesn't sometimes doesn't seem enough so how do you feel about the deadline though the deadline I, I enjoy it it can be very difficult with a full time job yeah but. I like it and yeah you're just gonna put that extra effort and as we we're talking about constraints earlier that's just another constraint on top of your art mm -hmm. and you you know most likely it's not that the more the better but a, a fine amount of constraints is nice and time is a good one to have as well yeah I mean the deadline as far as like time management and procrastination mm -hmm. I think is a sort of it's there there are positives and negatives about being a procrastinator but also problem yeah. solving right like what are you yeah. gonna do in that time one thing I Uh, so before we, uh, before the podcast, we talked about uh, illustration and how it, it's some, it, it, it can have fine art in it and can have graphic design in it. It can take take on a lot of other uh, areas and and can still be illustration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the whole idea of illustration is kind of vague. What too. is illustration? Yeah, we we're trying to figure that out before. There's a Wikipedia answer somewhere. <laughs> But uh, even that, even that Wikipedia entry was kind of like yeah. vague. I can I can read in a second. <laughs> But what was, so I feel like when it comes to problem solving and time, I remember every once in a while I would be like working on a project, and you know, whether it's just difficult because of a surface area that I'm painting, like painting a piano or something. I remember I did that for Keys to the Streets. Or, you know, mm. if you're painting a mural and you're going to have a week, but it's a giant wall. So if you're, uh, you, you can be smart about it and design something great that that is manageable in a time when the resources you're given, how many colors you're going to get? Are you mm. going to be doing really soft fades? And so sometimes those restrictions make, make me make better decisions because I end up leaning my artwork a little bit more towards uh, graphic design kind of work, mm. maybe a little bit more clean. Okay, so you more change your mindset about It's almost like the maybe those silhouettes read better. Maybe there's more interesting mm. shapes. Maybe not everything has to be rendered because, well, nothing ever has to be rendered. Right. But, and then so the, every once in a while, these kind of restrictions make you discover something cool and it ends up making actually taking a better direction than you would. You know, because if you have a year on one painting, you're going to render, uh, re render it out like crazy. But right. 
is that really going to make it great? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I, the the one thing I really appreciate about procrastination and, uh, and is it <laughs> nobody <laughs> ever it. said that. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot. I think a lot of artists secretly like if they had a if they had a guilty pleasure, it would be their procrastination. Um, <laughs> there's something about procrastination that forces you like when when it's time. Okay, so like when it's time to make the work, um, yeah. and you, and and there there is no other time to make it and it has to be made then there is something really wonderful about it forcing you to make essential decisions right you have to like let go of everything that doesn't absolutely matter Mm -hmm. and it also is this like internal look at like what really matters to me about this work and and it may change you to make or may um, like force you to make different design decisions with it it may make you like leave whole parts out Mm -hmm. um there is something really um, like humbling in a way or, or revealing about yourself when with procrastination. Also, it's really frustrating because it just like you think of all the time you had to work on it <laughs> and how little sleep you're going to get now. Uh, yeah. And um, everyone's listening. Everyone's nodding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about procrastination. <laughs> Uh, b- before uh, I think I want to touch a little bit more on your process and your materials, but is mm-hmm. there anything you wanted to bring up? I don't know if uh, subjects you want to chat about. W- what's been on your mind lately? What's bugging you? Um, not much is really bugging me. Life I feel pretty. Life g- yeah, is very good. Life's okay. <laughs> yeah, life's okay. Um, I w- I'm I'm wondering where the like big art scene is in Vancouver. Yeah, where is there's that? Like, uh, <laughs> when I got up here, there's like. I remember in Portland and even in Indianapolis, there was like these first Thursday events, first Friday events where like every gallery in town open has their, has their monthly opening on the same night. Mm -hmm. So there's this like parade of people around town going to all these shows. That sounds nice. Schmoozing and meet and every, all the, everybody gets to see all their friends and, and network and all that. Um, and it becomes a sort of celebratory time. Like everybody knows, like oh, all of the galleries, we can go see all of the art tonight. That's so cool. Um, I've never experienced that. That sounds amazing. Well, that's like an initiative. When I first moved here, I was like, "There's no first Friday thing happening here. Well, like I gotta make that happen." But it takes way too much work. But that's what so that's why I asked somebody you. Somebody needs to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that's why I asked you about the scene. Is that in uh, even let's say the amount of galleries you see here compared to. You know, Portland, well, there's a ton of galleries there here. Is. Just like no, but there's no. It, I, maybe I'm. I could be completely ignorant of this, just because I haven't been here and I haven't put in the time looking. But it, to me, it it appears, and it may appear to like the general public that there is no, like, there is no one source where we can go to know everything that's happening on, at, or like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. if if everything could just happen, at once. <laughs> I mean, it's a great idea if you can wander through like, like six shows in one yeah, night. Yeah, I mean, it, so it cool. drums up so much more attention for the communities you're in. And um, and, uh, and then you manage to, because as one show, as one artist, it's hard to bring the enough people together, for example. But I think, like you're saying, as a community of artists, you do this one thing once a month. I mean, that, that right. totally I mean, it's makes like sense. It's like if you've got one gallery opening this Thursday and then another one next Tuesday and then another one the Wednesday after that, it's like, okay, well, I'm only going to go out one night to one show, so like, I guess i got to pick which one. That's what it feels like it's um, been like. But then again, I wonder if the fact, you know, I'm telling you, I don't know if there's enough galleries is because it's because of how many events they do or something. I, I, I'm probably wrong, you know. I, I don't know. I just wish there was like... 
because I feel like I know the art community, but I don't see enough shows from the art community that I'm in touch with. And it's not like I know the whole Vancouver, so or I, I know a certain amount of artists that do a certain kind of work, probably. Yeah. I don't know. It would be interesting. Uh, I'm, yeah. I should probably do some more research on that. Me too. Instead of sitting and complaining here. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Why can't I see more art? I know. Uh, because I'm I just don't go out that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I guess you have to seek it out. It's like you're saying, where's like everything? Place? Like everything in the art world that I complain about, I end up it's just like, well, actually, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, because you're teaching illustration at Emily Carr, and uh, I feel like Emily Carr has a lot of graduates that go uh, quite deep into conceptual artwork, mm-hmm. and you're the illustration uh, teacher, so you have yeah. to pull them back a little. Well, it's it was really confusing because about six years ago there was an instructor at Emily Carr, or maybe less than that, that some recent graduates will remember. Um, he was very industry oriented. He was mm-hmm. very he burnt a lot from the faculty side. He burnt a lot of bridges with painting and drawing and and Do design. You give us a name or no? No, no. Okay. Um, they'll know who he is, and it doesn't really matter who it was. Anyways, it set a, it set it went um, so then the department sat kind of empty of of um, leadership for mm-hmm. a little while. Um, like really focused leadership. A lot of the faculty members that were keeping it alive who were full-time were coming in from other departments. Um, And so when my colleague Daniel and I were both hired last summer, we showed up, and I think we were both hired because we had this sort of understanding of illustration in the context of not just in the industry but also contemporary art. And so with Emily Carr's illustration program being still um, under the roof of the O'Dane Faculty of Art mm-hmm. and not communication design, yeah. um, that there was still this like push to keep illustration an art practice and not um, like an industry uh, industry oriented practice. Like that it was still like a fine art, mm-hmm. right? Not that we use that term that much anymore. Um, and so, a lot of the students during that time before Daniel and I showed up didn't have much like specific direction vancouver is a huge community of concept artists and like the video game and movie industry is mm-hmm. just like is just exploding here and so there are a lot of opportunities for that and i think a lot of students are really attracted by that and and they should be and this is the place to to go to lear- to like to be part of that and to learn how to do those things and so but with uh, illustration being in the fine art department, it seemed like there was always this like, pull back, like you were saying, like this sort of downplaying of the digital side of things, downplaying of the of the commercialized industry side of things, um, um, and kind of this call back to the golden age of illustration, the children's mm-hmm. books and comic books and things like that, um, which is fine, um, but really it needs to be both. For sure. Um, and so, like... E- even even now like tomorrow is my first day of class in a class on concept art and it's the very oh, first cool. class of of concept art oh, wow. offered by a full-time faculty member at really? the university and yeah. it's like way overcrowded already mm-hmm. um but they're like dying for this thing and so of course instead yeah. of like trying to dis like try, instead of like trying to discourage students from like really following that because we're a fine art program mm-hmm. um like make it work like bring it in yeah it's it's how you keep keep the balance because i guess you know the goal of an art school should it really uh, as this is a question should it be 
to help someone find a job in the arts or should it be to enlighten someone and give them a way to look at art in a different way and like we talked about finding a way to learn because both goals are fine you know yeah i mean i think though those should both be there for a student depending on what to they choose want. from right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. exactly and they could yeah. have both if they want both um, yeah i guess that's the ideal way so there whatever you want to do you know it's, it's up to you dude right what do you want to do with your uh, degree when you're done right yeah you just uh, it would be nice if we lived in a world where you didn't have to care about you know making a living with it or with something else right so it kind of plays into it but i can see how it can also get in the way of you becoming a better artist by just worrying too much about making it applic applicable and in, in, in the commercial. yeah i mean if the learning curve is too i mean if the if the hill's too steep to climb right out of school like on your own then most people won't do it mm -hmm. but i think if you if the opportunity's there then they'll take it so um it's fun to try and create new courses that start to bridge that gap yeah, yeah. between i mean i really like this idea of having um an illustration class where you can talk about like the materiality of a painting or like you can talk about like activating the space of <laughs> something <laughs> right um or like subverting <laughs> hegemony or whatever you you know like <laughs> very conceptual contemporary terms but then you can also talk about like um industry guidelines and mood yeah. boards and um i don't know like visual narrative and yeah, yeah, yeah. comic book paneling and things like that like in the same class like uh, getting illustrators yeah. prepared to talk about gallery work and getting and but then also prepare them to talk about the industry that they want to go into it's like i mean that's not gonna it, it can only help i i i think the fact that what you're talking about the combining those seems so important because the, the alternative that you see online or what you get in the spe especially commercial fields is that it ends up looking a little too the same it, it looks commercial not in a good way and uh, that's right. because they're only it's, it's almost like you're t you're talking about a student who like needed to go do some more research or something because like if you're doing you know let's say concept art or design on surface level you're just doing the same dude in the same armor the same and right. because uh, right. you can, uh, there's a way of doing design and all and when i say design i mean concept art there's a way of creating imagining things with context that's that ha that's deeper that goes beyond just this guy's gonna go kill someone like how many how many more games and movies do you want do you need to see about things killing each other or like can a you lot actually more apparently apparently well exactly <laughs> people are simple but too many uh, what but it doesn't have to be that way what if there's right. actually some sort of meaning in there uh, the, and it can be a, and so that's why wh yeah, when you talk about think, why does he have to kill this person <laughs> or does he have to no, kill no. a person <laughs> <you know? laughs> i know what you mean yeah, i mean yeah. there's there, there seems to be this like there's a big divide in art schools i think between like say the painting department Mm -hmm. um, a classic example of like the studio painters and, and an artist who is a studio painter and I've experienced this for myself because I work in a studio all by myself and all I think about is myself all day long <laughs> and what I want to see and how I want to say it and what I want people to hear um, and how people I want people to perceive me and my artwork and so there's this like kind of a and I think w when you get a group of people together like that there's a pretty severe elitism when it comes to like I am an artist I'm yeah, a high yeah, that's just like highbrow <laughs> art right I d I'm, I'm completely autonomous as if they believe that they're not part of some commercial industry of like <laughs> putting paintings on gallery walls and selling them. Yeah, like yeah. they're just as commercial as illustrators who get paid to draw characters. Yeah. Right. But 
Um, but then there's the other aspect, that, uh, there's like the other side of the spectrum of a lot of illustration students or animation students even feel like they're just mechanics. Yeah. Like they're taught how to use tools and they're taught how to make something look like something. And then that's just what you do. And so there has to be something in between being a mechanic and being an elitist asshole that like makes you a great artist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm also this when you're talking, speaking about this, what makes me think of is how many artists who are were taught to be mechanics are kind of lost in once you have freedom of having any voice you want a little lost about mm -hmm. what to even pursue because mm -hmm. you have these amazing tools but what are you going to do with them and right. so like so that's that the alternative that you should have that's the other side of the coin where the conceptual side that you need to embrace to you know, kind of combine those two to produce something that's very interesting yeah that, and know. i mean i think that's where it really comes back to that like if the, that like any work you make is going to ring kind of hollow if there isn't this like if you don't have a deep investment in the subject and if you're not invested if you're just learning tools and you're just a mechanic then like what do you have to say yeah not much and it's and if if you don't learn to want to have a voice and want to have a say in something then like that's all you're going to do, especially if it pays the bills. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> you know, like yeah. why, why, why want more? Mm -hmm. When did you, when did you realize you have something to say or when did you stumble upon something or find um, it? Cause that's a difficult one. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Again, I think it was grad school, man. I mean, so worth it, huh? I think, well, I mean, so much of my experience of grad school and all of these, like all of the things I've laid out of big learning lessons that I learned in grad school was all me sort of coming to terms with the fact that I'm a contemporary artist and mm -hmm. not a, just an illustrator, okay. like a trade illustrator. And I think that any artist practicing right now, this is the, we are in the times of contemporary art. So like if, whether you like it or not, if you're a practicing artist right now, you're a contemporary artist. Mm -hmm. And contemporary art is really about finding new connections between things because a lot of people think everything's already been done, right? So mm -hmm. now it's taking all those things that have already been done and combining them and seeing what happens in between those um, and what new things, new, new realizations happen. Um, and that's what it took for me. Um, and that's like that. Uh, that's just like finding those connections was really what made me realize like, oh, this is the kind of work that I need to be doing. Um, and it wasn't latching on to um, some big movement, um, some big cultural trend with art. Um, it wasn't latching onto a, like, a style movement in illustration or anything like that. It was like taking the basic things that I really liked in my life, mm -hmm. that things I appreciated. I liked, I liked landscapes. I liked going and looking at beautiful mountains. Mm -hmm. um, I liked metal music. <laughs> I liked... Um, ecology, learning about trees and how forests regenerate and things like that. Um, I really like melancholy stuff. I like darkness and fantasy. I like Lord of the Rings. Um, that that kind of those like tragic worlds. Um, and I found a way to make artwork that combines those things in an original way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like that's all I needed. Did it feel like learning to be you? Yeah, that sounds cheesy, but. Yeah, yeah, well, well, I mean, I looked at, like, I, I, a big inspiration for me, I think the big pivotal moment for me in school was I did this art residency at an art center down in Central Oregon called Caldera Art Center. Mm -hmm. And the art center is situated on a large plot of land that about 
16 or 17 years ago had this massive wildfire burn through the whole place. I mean, it's like Deschutes National Forest, like pretty old trees, not old, not old growth trees, but like old trees. Mm-hmm. The whole place went up in, in smoke, um, burnt out the entire valley that, it, that the art center's in, right around the art center, actually. Um, and so the landscape there is this like, it's just all rubble like pebbly rubble there's no grass there are a few like little manzanita shrubs growing back but all of the old trees are just these like burnt black snags these just these Mm -hmm. empty barren trunks everywhere and it looks like a nuclear bomb went off (laughs) but there are like birds coming back now and there are some small plants growing and there's like little shoots of baby trees coming up and um and i think a lot of the like for me personally the the kind of lifestyle and life that I left behind in Indiana when I realized that I was sick of making artwork for other people not that it wasn't gratifying but it wasn't enough um and that I needed to say that I needed something to say for myself um situating myself in that environment that was like all about ecology and death and renewal and rebirth Mm -hmm. and brutality and fire and lightning and all this other stuff maybe a couple goats in there too running around but um like they when I realized that I was in a place that reflected how I felt and the kind of, and like, and I was making work that also reflected that, it was like, everything just clicked clicked. into place. And it was like, Oh, this is what, duh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) The magic realization, the sky opened up. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, you're given this moment. That sounds, that's really cool. And so, I think I saw on your website the piece you did for that. Did you paint a map, right? For yeah, for actually, it was commissioned yeah. by by the art center to go back, and oh, um, okay, there were okay. a bunch of trails that were sort of lost after the fire happened. Um, mm-hmm. So I went back and hiked all the trails, charted them on G- on a USGS geological survey maps, and and then like created this landscape that mm-hmm. is like has all the trails there because most of the artists and residents that go there like don't even know that there's all these trails out oh. there, and it's like well. You got to show them. Yeah, they got to get out there. Like, <laughs> I, I went out there and, lo- like, <laughs> like lost my shit. Yeah. It was so incredible. Like, and it's like, you got to draw it up and scare them not to go in that direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it all looks dark and black. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's frustrating about your story is that, you, you know, I'm doing this podcast. Hopefully, we can all learn from, have some takeaways, and there's many. But, you, you know, the takeaway from your enlightening moment is that, because what... The takeaway is that you don't know when it's going to happen that you're going to find and it clicks. You know what I mean? In hindsight, it was very clear that like that's exactly where I had to be when it had to click. But as a as a um, you know as a as a takeaway as a lesson, is it just did you get uh, did you get out of your comfort zone? Is that what happened? I mean, what Not is really? I no? ju- it was it was like if I could give advice to somebody, yeah, yeah, to recreate a similar experience to finding themselves. Yeah, so it's like if yeah, like I looking back now, what I needed, yeah, went. And, and what happened, what, what, it, what happened in order to get me to that place where I had this sort of epiphany about the kind of work I wanted to make, and the work has changed a lot since then, um, still, but what I do see as um, understanding what was needed at the time, and what I sort of happened upon in a way, maybe not coincidentally, because I did do the work, and I did Situ- I did yeah. put myself in the in the position to create. I did create opportunities for myself that would lead me to that point. But um, what it really took was like understanding all of the things in my life that inspired me. That and you not, cared about maybe not all of them, but mm-hmm. a select number of them, and and figuring out how like where those connected, like in the Venn diagram of all my mm-hmm. interests. What's the center point? And 
being in that burnt out in that burn in that forest like that dead forest was like right where i needed to be that's really well uh, well put together i'm I'm trying to digest it all here (laughs) (laughs) because it can be complicated and simple at the same time because if the if it is just yeah figure out what you like and embrace it and go well it's like there's i mean there's plenty of trends to follow and there's plenty of like uh social movements that you can get behind and, and that you can be passionate about. And I'm not saying don't do those. And mm-hmm. I'm saying, and I, I would also say that like, that's, if that's part of your interest that like if activism is part of your interest or if um, feminism or um, I don't know. Or elephants or and goats. Elephants and goats. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if like saving the elephants is your thing, then like maybe that's part of what your art practice yeah. should be about. And maybe, maybe you don't have to paint elephants, but like if there's something that leads that like calls people to action towards something that you're really passionate about um, or makes people think about or consider <laughs> things that you're really passionate about. Like I don't need people to know that I like blast metal in my he- earphones when mm-hmm. I work as a conceptual approach, not just cause I like listening to music, but mm-hmm. it, like it puts me in that mindset. Like I don't need people to know that, mm-hmm. but I think maybe some of it, like if they found out looking at my work, they'd be like, Oh, I could see that. <laughs> right. I love, uh, that you I was scrolling through Instagram you had, you had a post where like hey metal bands if you need some artwork hit me up and oh like, yeah. yeah totally oh, yeah. makes that sense be, I think that would sense. be an alternate dream job yeah, yeah? Like okay. if I wasn't going to teach I would just work in my studio full time making album covers for hey, black metal it, bands it makes sense <laughs> <laughs> do you want to drop some names that uh, bands <laughs> that you listen to sure sure some of my favorite bands um, mostly black metal bands um, oh, really dark yeah, black, I'm not even black metal specifically. There's a lot of subgenres. Of exactly, metal, that's what I was gonna say. I don't like all of them. I only like a particular few. Black, I think metal fans are, will all understand how particular we can get about our bands, but <laughs> mostly Cascadian black metal, American black metal, some, and and of course, obviously, like the original black metal. I listen to uh, Wolves in the Throne Room, Behemoth, both mm. who are playing here yeah, in yeah. November. Ooh, um, treat Dimu Borgir, Immortal, Abbott, Drine, Sumac. Oh, you get dark then. You really get deep. See, I, I was, uh, <laughs> for me, it started, I was like, it was, I remember, I don't think, like, Corn is not a metal band, you know, it was like, yeah, a, like new metal. It was Entrance, and then it was like Slipknot, and then it was, right, Slipknot like, got a little heavier. Yeah, and it was, uh, and then, you know, if you get into Meshuga or something. Yeah, Meshuga's a little fringe, like, you're kind of standing yeah. at the edge of, like, See, and I, I was, I, of, I, like, palatable metal are like you trying to tell me i'm not cool enough to be that, that's what i was gonna say so <laughs> you're not specific enough that's exactly yeah. if you're listening and you're yeah everybody needs that gateway yeah. band right yeah. that's kind of like traditional metal <laughs> that like opens the door and then you're like oh why am i listening to something a little darker or something a little more brutal <laughs> or more adventurous or faster and then that exactly, starts to exactly, point yeah, you yeah. in the direction are you gonna go subgenres? to dragon force or iron maiden what are you gonna do but exactly but that's why but for me it seems like uh, as time went on it's been more uh, towards the uh, quite a lot of instrumental but more towards uh, what is a prog uh progressive metal i guess yeah prog metal and it's uh-huh. been like and it seems to be the this uh, kind of the i guess i don't know if i want to say new but these bands were really trying to push the, the syncopations and push the timing and yeah, but mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. to me it's like what the black metal stuff you talk about is so classic. To me, it's like it's so deep, so dark, and it's so yeah. It's like it's a definition. You know, well, it. the reason I think the reason I associate black like I, I I like black metal so much specifically is that it's like almost intolerable music for a lot of people. So true, um, so true. But it but it <laughs> is but there's something so visceral about it. Yeah. And I think if you like 
conceptually related to my work, like the origins of black metal, like kind of all started out as a sort of rejection of the status quo, um, a kind of like reclamation of ancient knowledge. Oftentimes it was this like con- wishing to go back before Christianized times to mm. like more pagan yeah. earth-based beliefs religious belief systems and also this like embracing of the darkness and the unknown right it's sort of like visceral sublime sort of um mind state and so that's like really like black metal is really related to my artwork in that sort of in in that sort of way um and and that and so maybe there's aspects of my work that are kind of intolerable or too or too specific or too scary or I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. There are aspects of the unknown in my work that I like to come through in the same way that I feel this, like in the same way that I viscerally respond to, to black metal music. Um, and oftentimes, and, and there's something really fun about having this. Um, it's like an inside joke with people, but mm-hmm. it may not be a joke, but mm-hmm. it's like people, I know that I will have like mega fans of my mm-hmm. work that get all those little, connections to yeah. black metal and stuff and so that and, th- and th- I think that comes with um, most art forms that like if you can find something that you like really nerd out about yeah. that like m- gets all your like pushes all your geek buttons <laughs> um, put it in the work I Sneak mean it in. what would you rather be doing yeah. really I mean like if there's any <laughs> if I could offer any takeaway to artists not want, you know not sure what they want to do like just do the thing you would rather do than anything else that's such, um, a, <laughs> such a good advice. I like how you can draw those parallels between, yeah, the thing aspects you like and other like in music and, and just other arts. Yeah. And how to find it back. Yeah. I gotta. Yeah. You. you I like how you said that some metal music is just some people. It just. It, it's like you're saying it's meant to sound distorted, and I guess that's why people. Some people don't get it, but sometimes I'm surprised that I like it. I mean, you it's know, pretty conceptual, really. Like yeah. it's like it is purposefully cl- supposed. Like it, they make it to sound horrible because they want you to not like it like the Such point is parallel. to not like it but the, but the benefit of that and this is a, like a, a great term that was coined by one of my previous students shout out to angie um is this concept of like secret over tolerance and so there's like like the music is intolerable for most people mm-hmm. but it's like but if you know the secret of it then you like it for other reasons mm. beyond the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at some point the noise starts to, you start to like the yeah, noise the, too. The noise sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of, and it, yeah. And it, man, you broke it down so well. I'm going to have to rethink my metal choices. <laughs> you just really start listening to metal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's so much fun and it's so energetic and yeah, it, it, it can be, and it's very positive when it may not sound like so I, I get a lot of, uh, yeah. Well, it relates to my my practice, and I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of people that like make work that is inspired by um, dubstep and <laughs> and uh, your intro song and uh, no hate. Come on, no hate. <laughs> <laughs> no hate. It's fine. There's room for everyone. That's right. Um, but it's fun having this. Like, it's fun having. It's kind of a secret. It is a, a secret. Yeah, so true. And then when you when you go to a concert, and you're like, oh, all of us get it. You guys, yeah. you guys we're this little uh, community. And yeah. I mean, I would rather appeal to peop- to like. I would rather appeal like overwhelmingly, so to a few small people than to like make work that is, that everybody likes on a surface level. 
what happens if all of a sudden you become really popular and everyone likes your work are you going to question yourself like am i pop now if if i you know (laughs) if i move to sweden i probably would be super because everybody loves metal in sweden I'm just not with my people. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm curious. What if you give it a try? No, just start shipping work. You know, find, a gallery, find a gallery. <laughs> I do need to, to find a gallery. You're yeah. working on paper. You just roll it up. Yeah. Let, let them figure That's it cheap. out. Yeah. Do you have a good fixative for charcoals? Um, I use a few different ones. Selenier makes a really nice one. Uh, Lasco, like the caves. Lasco. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> the most expensive fixative. I don't know. When it comes to charcoal fixatives, you get what you pay for. Well, and it's... Uh, it's so finicky. It's so and it's so scary to mess it up because it's so easy to. I bought this workable with. fixative from Krylon one time, oh, no. like the spray paint company, and nope. I didn't like do a test or anything, and I just got this drawing out. This is probably ten years ago, but I got this drawing out. I was like, I'm just gonna spray fix this and keep working on it. I sprayed it, and like, it dissolved half the drawing. It was terrible. Test Sh- your should fixative, we, should people. We, should we just like <laughs> say it now? You suck, Krylon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reading a painting. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, I'm sure everyone had the moment of just varnishing wrong or something or putting something. Uh. Well, I don't know. Every time I bitch, it just comes back to It's all your me. fault. Yeah. It's all your I fault. Didn't, I didn't do a <laughs> test strip first. I wouldn't have ruined that painting uh, if I just tested it first. You have a good perspective. I'll adapt it as well. <laughs> just it's all, Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I messed If you don't it like it, up. it's probably your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. Hmm. Have to yeah have to teach everyone. I hope you te- you're teaching your students to think that too. You screwed up. <laughs> I don't know. There's it's a honest. lot. There's a lot to learn from mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to uh, your materials because uh, I think there's another photo. So like I said, your Instagram was very uh, was very full of knowledge and insight. And I I, I kind of want to ask uh, more. Y- uh, there's um I think you did a post something about talking about the Strassmore 400 series um, sketchbook that uh, you're. Oh yeah. For. Yeah, uh, and I, I think you mentioned something like that it was with the what is it? B paper B super paper. Yeah, B paper super deluxe. Super deluxe mixed media. So tell me more. Do you, do you nerd out on uh, these art materials? Do you get really specific with what you use? I'm, uh, I wouldn't say I'm like a connoisseur of paper, but I'm getting very there. Per- I'm very particular about my paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, I only work with a few different kinds of paper because they have like, the surface quality, like. The, th- the three things that are important to me about paper are, one, that they have enough tooth mm-hmm. that I can get really, like, the darkest darks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, like, certain papers will, like, burnish down too quickly and it just gets shiny and flat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, printmaking papers for me are oftentimes have just enough tooth in them, um, but not too much where it gets really gritty. I like a little bit of gritty, but not a lot. Um, that they're th- the paper's thick enough that I can, like, really mm-hmm. like really rub into it and not it doesn't like make a hole fuzz up yeah, or yeah. make a hole yeah um and um and then like the the kind of white like i, I the charcoals i use are like a warm black mm-hmm. as opposed to a cool black and so like i like working on warmer white paper than than cool white paper mm-hmm. just so the it sort of it feels like it fits to the tones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, I haven't even thought of that. I didn't. I guess it makes sense that so you can buy cool and warm charcoals. Yeah, some yeah. charcoal. Yeah, I mean, if you if you spend like the big bucks on the really expensive charcoals, you can get like w- any any color you could think of. Um, any and like a t- a three dozen different kind, like different mm-hmm. black charcoals, um, black colors. But I, um, I'm pretty. Um, 
loyal to one specific brand of charcoal mm -hmm. and it's honestly just this really cheap compressed black charcoal but it gets darker than any other charcoal they, they gotta sponsor you um but then you get well it's like certain soft pastels like soft pastel black that's not compressed charcoal but it's like a pastel that's mixed with an oil it gets even darker but it's smeary mm. and um it's like too velvety and and, and like it smears it's like that's pastels yeah it's like too viscous mm-hmm it's like putting too much water on your brush. It's mm. like it just the pigment keeps going further than you want it to, and it's hard to erase. Is it possible to make your own charcoal sticks? Yeah. yeah? Have yeah. you just compressed some charcoal at home? I don't <laughs> make compressed. I I don't know how to make compressed charcoal, but I know how to make vine charcoal. And how is it? Is you, it? you get a bunch of like like willow. Like mm -hmm. Oftentimes you have willow, so you get like young willow mm -hmm. sticks um, and branches. Cut them into four or five inch lengths. Load them up in a coffee can. Okay. Like a metal coffee tin, fill it like completely full. Like you got a bunch of pencils in there. Mm -hmm. uh, you poke a hole in the lid, fix the lid on nice and tight, put it in a fire. Okay. Then you wait a little while. Smoke will start coming out of the hole in the mm -hmm. lid. Leave it in there. Just wait. And then you wait until the smoke stop coming okay. stops coming out of the hole. You take the can out. You set it out for a night. Next day, you come back, open it up, and you have a bunch of charcoal sticks. Damn. If you're a purist, you got to go that way. <laughs> do you do that often? No. Yeah. You know, when, when I was out in that burn in, in yeah. Oregon and drawing, I did this one experiment where, like, I went up to a burnt tree, and I broke some charcoal mm -hmm. up from its bark off the tree, and I sat down, and I drew the tree with its own charcoal. Ooh. And I drew the tree like it was still alive. Yeah, yeah. And it was this Talk like about conceptual. It was like circle of life, <laughs> Lion King kind of thing, and uh, and that is profound. It is like the idea of that is profound, but it's also like it's so cliche. I was gonna say it needs to go a level deeper or something. I mean, I like the idea that I'm using a burnt wood to draw burnt wood, but it's not like it's not so conceptual that like it becomes this gimmick of like, oh, he drew that tree with the charcoal from that tree. Ooh. It's a little too obvious, I guess, at this point, right? Well, it's like it takes the, and then all the emphasis, all the importance about the artwork is that process, and not like what you're actually looking at. Mm -hmm. It's like it's an excuse to not even investigate the technical qualities of a piece of art. Yeah. If you're so focused on like how it was made. And that happens to a lot of art, I think, where the story overtakes the art piece itself, and the value is mm. the story, right? Then the is more so than a piece. I wonder. I mean, you were talking to Andrew on his on his episode Andrew Domachowski Domik yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. about painterly marks mm -hmm. and how like the difference between like like people want that photo bash look right yeah, that yeah, photographic yeah. look it's easier to sell something because they don't mm -hmm. have to imagine it they yeah. don't have to use their creative part of their brain to like get it and it's that same kind of thing like you if it if the here we are back talking about the problems with contemporary art <laughs> conceptual <laughs> yeah. art is Can't like escape yeah, it's like, it makes me so mad sometimes. But then it's like, well, no, it's, <laughs> it's just as important as everything else. Um, that it's like, wh what it really comes down to is like, where do you want your focus to be? Like, what mm. is it, what's, what's the most important thing about the work you're making? Is it the process you went through to make it? Is there like a, some clever thing you did? Um is the idea that inspired it the most imp the most artistic mm -hmm. aspect of the work or is it the technical quality is it your rendering is it you know is it is it what you're is it what people see is it 
the expression on the people's faces that you painted. Um, it's always this. I mean, it's, it's always a choice, right? I could do that other thing, but then it's like, I don't want to be that guy that does the does that thing. Mm-hmm. And then once again, it goes back to then knowing your values and things you like, and that's what you're gonna choose out of the yeah. elements you're talking about, right? I need to. I really need to get. I need to really, really need to get a like a contemporary. Well, not contemporary, like modern art artist in here, and <laughs> just get into this questioning because. Like you're saying, if your if your interests uh, going back to the example of the pa- things you like, mm-hmm. you know, metal and fantasy, if those are your interests and you're translating them, and uh, you clearly care about process and you care about technique at the same time as you care about mood and mm-hmm. the conceptual side of it, so that's so when I see your work and when you speak about this, it's not a surprise to me that that's what you care about mm-hmm. because I've seen mm-hmm. your work, and so I wonder how much of this uh, approach to art translates into a really you know into something that's really striking and surprising and shocking piece of that's like that's modern it's like you know you you said like a bunch of underwear tight or something like into right well it's just like where do you want to turn the volume up on what you're making like Mm -hmm. what do you want people to pay the most attention to and if you want them to pay attention to the spectacle of something or if you want them to pay attention to the the emotional feedback and I guess in the end, do you want them to pay attention to the fact that it's even made by a person, right? Or yeah. like, is it even about the artist, right? Because that's where it goes when it's a yeah. the, you know yeah. the found art and the, yeah. So yeah, one no, of my graduate no mentors right was always talking about there's like all these there's all these crossfaders of different things. There's, mm-hmm. yeah, there's yeah, yeah, like yeah. culture. There's technic. There's technic technical skill. There's um, rendering. There's color. There's mm-hmm. Figure and all that you can and you can move these levels up and down on everything like this board yeah, right yeah, in front yeah. of us right and you can like turn up the volume on different things and you can that's a great way to l- l- looking yeah. at it, I think yeah yeah even yeah. just visualizing you don't want everything to be on top you just have to pick right one or two yeah yeah man I'm learning so much from you this is very, this is very good <laughs> I am a teacher that's right oh yeah <laughs> I sh- should have known this is <laughs> how it's gonna go um, and we're slowly running out of time so um, let's get into I guess a couple of final questions. I don't know if you uh, mm. wanted to do, add anything else, but um, I wanted to, let's see, I just let me just scroll through the sheet. Oh, one thing before we get into the final questions I want to ask is that uh, I really appreciated the fact that you used a blue pencil in your drawings because, once again, coming from animation background, like the color raised yeah, color pencils, like blue. that's where, the, I mean, that's that's how <laughs> the, it was done. And I, for, for the longest time, and still I would be in my sketchbook, I would sketch out roughs and then, with, you know, with a color, color race, and then go on top of it, like and define it. But how did it? How did you? What made you choose that, that medium? I like the blue pencil. Um, I mean, I, I like. I, I always enjoyed sketching in a color pencil, but I, it was always frustrating to have to keep sharpening that color mm-hmm. pencil. <laughs> um, and so, the then I found that Pentel makes these like little mechanical pencil oh, leads, blue pencil yeah, yeah. leads. So I put in a mechanical pencil, and I've always got a nice sharp point. And um, and and the, and so rendering, especially if I'm doing something in black and white as a finished product, there's like really high contrast. There's like a wide range of, of tone. Like the tonal range is all the way like zero to a hundred. When I'm working with the blue pencil, it only goes like zero white to maybe sixty. And so I can work work out these like really subtle tonal shifts, um, without going all the way to black. Mm-hmm. in my sketch which is like hard to erase right yeah, it's, yeah. Hard to, it's hard to come back from all the way black so working in blue is great because then when i scan it in it's still like a gray drawing uh, and then i can push the levels out yeah, yeah. further um 
it's almost not a necessity, huh? It's a necessity it's like for the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is, but it's but it became a necessity out of working in that way in the beginning. I don't know. It's, it's weird. No, it's it's really fascinating how, how you arrive to it and the reasons. Yeah, the, uh, the fact that your tools are not a, not exactly accidental, but it's 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 all meant to be there to right. get to the final. I think rate. if I, yeah, I think if I was going to start from scratch again, I might, I might, and not and not knowing this process, I I may not go have gone in the same route. But mm. Interesting. You no, know, it doesn't smear as much as a pencil does. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. What's uh, what books are you reading right now? Or what are you reading with your coffee in the morning? Um. So a lot of my research is also about ecology and sort of like the end of human existence. I love <laughs> which it. Which is what I kind of portray yeah. in my work, right? These like mountains crumbling into white chasms. Um, so glo like global ecological crisis is on my mind a lot. Climate change is on my mind a lot. Um, the impact of, you know, 7 billion people on the planet is on my mind a lot. And so I read a lot about ecological concerns. Um, it gets me thinking about the melancholy that's th that I associate with mm -hmm. the sort of like the planetary grieving process we all have to go through with the the sixth mass extinction on its <laughs> way people things will never be the same um, so I read a lot of newer writers um, I'm reading Paul Kingsnorth who's a pretty visionary British guy um, focuses on sort of uh, post environmentalism mm -hmm. mentality about the world it does he have a darker outlook it's a pretty dark yeah. outlook mm -hmm. yeah fits with your yeah oh yeah it fits very well <laughs> um but then also just nature writers uh timothy morton writes a lot about the holocene and the anthropocene and like these like scenes that humanity is going through and how the changes are affecting the world and a um, little bit of wendell berry like his poetry he writes about living on a farm and growing his own <laughs> shit and nice. um and i you know poetry yates robert graves um i don't know i read a lot of weird stuff but it's all it all seems to be kind of nature based yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it all fits fits too uh, yeah together like your interest and in helps with the art that's a, yeah I, I like what you're talking about before that your interests are really translated into the artwork so even yeah. when you're not doing art research it's following your other interests they inevitably go back to that yeah i'm uh, also like deep in the delilah dirk series that's been oh out. yeah yeah <laughs> i gotta comics. get that uh, it's actually it's so good tony right uh, uh -huh. tony cliff uh yeah. man hey tony i don't know if you listen to this but i gotta meet you work at the same company i haven't met the guy <laughs> <laughs> come on tony yeah i gotta I'm actually i'm i'm gonna make sure i was um flipping through uh, i gotta get his i only got one i gotta get his books at our breakers speaking of which see i was just thinking about that we, you and I just talked for two hours, and there's still so much to talk about. We didn't even get get into like, hey, what are you doing for Artbreakers? How are you preparing for that? Uh, how are you preparing for Artbreakers? Give me I, a quick answer. Well, so because I'm because I'm represented by a gallery, I'm not selling. I'm, I don't make prints of any work that I consign that I would consign to them because mm -hmm. I don't want to. It's it's just like issue of devaluing the work by selling prints, that kind of thing. Um, I don't want to create two different markets for the same work. Okay. Um, so a lot of the work that is on my web, pretty much all the work that's on my website is not what I'll be selling there. But the other work I do, which is more like illustration style yeah, stuff, yeah. I do some, um, actually some like hand pulled screen prints Sweet. Um, that are like inspired by some John Muir quotes. Some, I have, I'll have a screen print there that's like uh, from The Hobbit, mm -hmm. a little image from The Hobbit that I did. Um, 
and then a bunch of pen and ink drawings. Awesome. I do a lot of little like black line art, micron pen drawings, like highly detailed mm -hmm. drawings of forest scenes and things like that. So I'll have some prints of those and just random little fun stuff. Can't wait. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. What uh, what advice would you give your younger self before before uh, undergrad? Before undergrad? Yeah. Hmm. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to listen to. Work harder. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I recall so many nights in undergrad of like pulling an all-nighter doing the, the final for the critique the next morning <laughs> and not spending a minute of time on it before that. Mm -hmm. And I really lost out. Yeah. <laughs> It took me a long time to like catch up from that after undergrad. That's tough because uh, you will won't know until you have to yeah. work hard, or you yeah. won't you maybe won't know it until yeah. you do it. Yeah. Maybe that's why I have this like love hate relationship with procrastination. Yeah, yeah. But um, because I still pulled off fairly good work, <laughs> but it could have been a lot better. Uh, it's just like really like give yourself the time to be good at something. On the last uh, on the last podcast was uh laura and tessa mm -hmm. laura was saying how she like kind of kind of got some sort of satisfaction of the idea of working at the day before for something we we're all uh maybe there's something there like you're saying there's this there's something enjoyable when you do pull it off uh, yeah. i guess like she was saying once you pull it up you're like ah, i'm still a magician <laughs> <laughs> still got it still got it yeah yeah yeah, uh, no, there is something really, truly gratifying about that. And that's why I will never, like, completely write off procrastination <laughs> as a bad thing. But, yeah. Just don't indulge too much, right? Yeah, I just wish <laughs> I'd taken... I wish I'd just taken my education more seriously. Taken my life more seriously at the time. <laughs> Man, you're so fascinating. I really appreciate you oh, joining the podcast. Hopefully, I hope for people listening, uh, I touched on the right topics. I feel like with you, we could just keep going for a long time. There's so yeah. many things to... Uh, dive into uh, as always i gotta really listen to this to really try to get the get the takeaways write down those names <laughs> otherwise uh, uh looking forward to seeing you at our breakers yeah should be a fun time 22nd 23rd right am yep. i correct okay yep. awesome well uh amory thank you so much and yeah. uh, do you want to give a uh, shout out your websites how do people find you yeah uh, yeah it's amoryabbott.com a-m-o-r-y-a-b-b-o-t-t -T. and that's either an at or at a dot com. That's right. Go go look him up. It's uh, a lot of amazing work. And like I said, if you want to find like if you want to feel mood in a painting, you're, you're, you're you you got it. It's tracking it so well. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to go message Tony after this and be like, dude, I'm gonna meet you. Get on the get on the show. Uh, also, I run the Emily Carr illustration Instagram feed. Oh, you um, do. Okay. And awesome. if any of you are interested in just seeing like the amazing work that my students have and are continuing to put out go check out emily carr illustration lots of really Instagram. good artists uh, oh, as always yeah make sure to check that out what else what else should we throw out there oh yeah so uh laura bifano i think this is the week she's gonna have an art show opening yeah uh, and i was gonna say you probably can relate to some of her work Comple oh, I love com her landscapes. completely different but landscapes and mountains and epic but in a I different matter i met laura at icon conference in yeah. portland in t 2014 oh, that's and then just like about. ran into her She's cool. at a, a snag function here. Awesome. Right after I moved here. And I was like, what? <laughs> wait, you? Oh, I, hey, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, it's so cool. awesome. I, I, the Good community. Having your work beside hers would be so fascinating. The juxtaposition. Well, just, just 
it's oh we gotta have a group show oh 100 okay seeing the subject matter and then just execution just so different Mm -hmm. that would be really cool okay i have one of her pieces up in my living room like i love her work i'm gonna get one this week for sure all right so uh, get on there kafka's main and broadway thursday september 13th Mm -hmm. if i got it correctly make sure that you show up because laura is amazing her work is incredible uh, yeah, I just can't wait. So make sure to check and that she'll out. And she'll have a booth at Artbreakers too. Yes, Artbreakers. <laughs> so many things, exciting things <laughs> happening. Maybe we are building an art scene. All yeah. right. So uh, just for Emery here, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into metal, but this is instrumental. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's progressive metal. It's <laughs> Pliny. I really hope I don't get kicked out of YouTube for this uh, when I throw it up there. The song is called Salt and Charcoal. It's just so freaking beautiful. I, ah, this, this is good. It's recent. Um, otherwise, if you want to learn more about Creative Theory Podcast, <laughs> Find me on Instagram and Facebook. Let's do it. Love you, people. Bye. Peace.